Welcome to the Business Mentor Podcast. This podcast is where we share and discuss the experiences, ideas, and happenings in the world of business, featuring some very special guests and experts to give you advice and direction in your journey. Introducing your host, award-winning entrepreneur and Prince's Trust business mentor, Jay Dillon. Daniel, you know, if I don't show you the views, then it's going to be like, it's going to be... If you do this, we're done. Ah. So yeah, first time I've been here. Whereabouts are you? In Alcudia. So it's in um, Spain. First time we've been here, to be fair. Uh, uh, is it uh, mainland Spain? You know what? It's in Mallorca, if that means anything. I'm ready. Yeah, Mallorca. The Balearics. It's beautiful. Yeah, so it's nice. The first time we normally go to Greece. Uh, Mallorca is amazing. If you get a chance, head down to Port Andrax. Port Andrax, yeah? Yeah. Awesome. Awesome little spot. Okay, I'll, I'll check that out. Yeah, good stuff. So you've, you've been there a few times then? And I used to, before I had kids, I used to go there on oh, one weekend a month. All right, okay, yeah, cool. I had a friend of mine who had a castle built into the side of the mountain in Port Andrax. Oh, nice. That's yeah. pretty good then. Cool. So welcome to the podcast. This is the podcast. So um, it's called the Business Mentor Podcast. So I wanted to get you on, Daniel. I've read your books. I've even bought one with me. Look at that. That's commitment for you. Yeah, I'm on holiday with you. Yeah, great book. So, you know, I've, I've read quite a few. So look, for my audience who don't know much about you, I'm sure they do, but you know, you've done four books. You might have done five, but I've just got 24 assets. Key, person of influence, oversubscribe, entrepreneur revolution. You know, to write them books is one thing. But I think the content, as an entrepreneur myself of 20 years, I just love what you put in there. So actually a book with so much value that you can take away and use straight away. Um, so I want to thank you for doing that for everybody anyway. My pleasure. But just a bit about your story, because, you know, I've read about your story. But, you know, for people who have not known about your story, just fill us in, Daniel, of, of you know, about your past and yes. how you got to where you were. And we'll go back around again. So um, a quick, quick fly through from 19 to 21. I, I was very lucky to have a great mentor who I worked for. Um, I was employee number three in a new venture that he set up. And within two years, we had 60 employees and um, seven or eight million of revenue. Uh, so I got the opportunity to sit through the whole growth of those first two years from startup to multi-million revenue. I, I, um, I, because I was 19, I deliberately made myself available for anything at all that he wanted to, to get done. So uh, if he needed to be dropped off at the airport, I would do that. If he, if he um, wanted me to fold envelopes and pack, put stamps on, on letters, I remember doing thousands of direct mail stamps and, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, so absolutely everything. We wrote copy, we um, created packages, we did sales and customer service. So I was really across a huge section of the business for that whole growth journey. And then when I was 21 years old, amazingly, um, yeah. when I look back at it now, I felt ready to go out in competition with him. Wow. Um, we had a little bit of a, had a little bit of a head to head uh, about a, a couple of issues. And I, he, he made an offhand remark where he said, uh, Daniel, if you want some shares in this business, why don't you go start your own business? Um, and I went, well, okay, fair enough. I'm going to go start my own business. So I did. Um, at 21, I went and launched my own company. It, it was I, I emulated what I'd seen before uh, and I grew a very fast growth company. So we went from zero to a million in the first year or about 1.3 million. And then we grew up to a 10.7 million worth of sales uh, in year four, um, and it was very fast growth. So before the age of 25, we'd gotten to a million a month in sales, um, and it was just an innovative marketing agency, 
um, very focused on just a couple of clients and taking a stake in their success and yeah. taking a commission on everything that we solve. Um, so I was able to do a deal to get out of that business um, and then I came to the UK. I set up an events business where we ran events, uh, launching uh, speakers into the UK market. Um, the recession hit. Uh, my business was hit pretty hard. I tried to sell it. I couldn't sell it. Uh, and I, I got some pretty pathetic offers. Um, and one of the things I discovered when I tried to sell it was that I hadn't really built an asset. So I was really, really good at sales and marketing. Yeah. Um, for my first 10 years, we, I would describe us as, you know, cutting edge, world-class, aggressive sales and marketing, um, uh, you know, very successful businesses at the sales and marketing side. But we didn't know anything about turning that into an asset. So from about 2010 onwards, I focused very heavily on understanding balance sheet assets and understanding off-balance sheet assets. And, um, and I built a very, I actually changed my strategy, built a very valuable company. Today we run in Australia and Singapore and UK, USA, Canada. Um, I have a ventures business that has a stake in about a dozen companies. Um, inside the group of companies that we own is film production, book publishing, IT uh, services, technology, um, and, uh, and training and development for, for entrepreneurs. Um, so we employ about 50 people today. Um, and yeah, along the way, I've written, I've written the, uh, the books and essentially the books, I'll, I'll tell you, um, the, the main reason I write the books is it's a way for me to capture all my learnings and to get yeah. everything that's in my head. I've discovered that if I take everything out of my head and if I don't hold back and I put everything into a book, it frees me up to have new ideas. Yeah. So, um, when, when you put something in a book, it basically allows you to relax about that idea and it gives you the space to have new ideas. So I just, I, I brain dump into the book. So yeah, that's no. how come I've written the four books as well as, uh, as wanting to support the entrepreneur journey. Yeah, I like that because I read that bit about, you know, dumping yourself. And I, I will write a book at some point, but podcasting for me is kind of writing them chapters anyway. Yeah. Um, we're like 71 thinking at the moment. And I'm looking... The funny thing is this, that you're probably the same. You know, when you go back to your book and you read something and you think, wow, that's amazing content. I go to my podcast and I think sometimes we're probably our worst enemy, right? I sometimes think my content isn't on point and someone sends a message, Jay, that really helps. I listened to an old podcast. I thought, Shh, was that really me? That's brilliant content. So I totally get that concept of brain dumping because yeah. um, it clears your mind. I'm um, just going on your business. What was the business that you built up? What was it in? Because um, a lot of the listeners probably not read your book. So it's a little bit, it's a little bit complicated because um, it was very, very niche. Okay. But in the, in the early days, essentially we would do uh, event marketing, event roadshows. Okay. Yeah. So what I would do is I would find, I would find someone who was a very good educator, very good speaker, author, who wasn't good at putting bums on seats at events. Right. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. And I would take over the whole sales and marketing side of the event. But the unique thing is that I would spend my own money and I would um, uh, make the sales and we would basically take a, a big percentage of the commission. Now, in the early days, um, we would sell training programs um, for uh, $2,500 packages. Um, and then I discovered that the same method, the same approach would work for selling franchises. Oh, right. So I went to the franchise show and I found yeah. one franchise that I was really inspired by, that I really loved. 
and I did a deal with them that I would roadshow their franchises across Sydney, Melbourne, and Brisbane and build them a franchisee network. Oh. But I would take as much as 70% of the franchise fee depending on sales volumes. Yeah, yeah. So um, on the first few sales, it was low, but as we, as we crossed the million-dollar mark and then the $2 million mark, we were earning up to 70% of the franchise fees. Um, and it was a very, very successful, very lucrative business, um, uh, which ultimately they wanted to bring that function back in-house, which was good for us, right? Yeah, yeah. So it was really, it was really a, uh, you know, it was a great, it was very niche. It's, a, it's not as simple as saying a fish and chip shop or a yeah. recruitment business or something like that that people understand. We, we, we focused on doing a particular deal and doing basically delivering sales and marketing results through events. Yeah, I like that because when I saw my business, because I'm good at sales and marketing, that's, you know, recruitment's quite a tough industry. Um, people were asking me to join them, you know, sell for them. And I did it for a little while and then obviously I changed the model. But I, t- I get that concept because if you're very good at sales and marketing and you've got the machine, you can take anything from this to that, you know? Yeah. Um, Gary V talks about, in fact, Gary V is actually doing that now with his v, uh, VaynerMedia. Yeah. He's taking an existing brand and putting a machine behind that. Yeah. That's, that's an asset you, you want to keep hold of. Exactly. So rather than being like a gun for hire and doing fees and all that sort of stuff, we would pick one thing and just focus heavily on promoting it and building it up. And, uh, and we made money through the deal, through the actual growing and scaling of, of something that we would work. Awesome. And I, I want to go on the branding bit because obviously we're going to go different angles because I've got so much stuff I want to cover. But, you know, the key, um, the influence, the key person of influence, a book that really I started reading initially. And I, I totally got it because I'm always about brand. And I talk, and you talk a lot about being someone of, of value in a sense, someone that people, because there's lots of people doing, you know, mini-me's if that makes sense. Talk a bit about that, 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 that reason behind the key person and why people should do that in an industry with so much noise. Yeah, so think, think less about brand for, the, for a moment. And let's just go back to an original concept, which is very simple. In every industry, in every niche, there is one, one to 5% of the people in that niche are the top performers and they make all the money. So even in the UK economy, uh, the top 5% of earners in the UK economy pay 50% of the taxes, which basically means that they're earning extraordinary amounts of money. Um, If you're in the top 5%, it's never been better. This is the best time in history to be in the top 5%, probably since the age of Rome, right? So this is... is, um, the the people who are digitally leveraged who have a very who are known for something they're the name recognized person within a particular industry those people are the key people of influence and all the deals go through them so if you're if you're Gary Vaynerchuk let's say then anyone who's thinking about launching a social media related business and they want to be in New York and they want to be in London and um this, the first name that pops into their mind is Gary Vaynerchuk. So what happens is that because I used to work with people like Gary quite a lot, you see behind the scenes they get 100 opportunities a day. Every single day, hundreds of people are sending them great opportunities. And when you see great opportunities, when you see hundreds of opportunities, you actually become numb to them. You become bored with opportunities and you become so complacent that only the best opportunities start to stand out so what happens is that basically you get 100 opportunities a day 500 opportunities a week 
Yeah. And then once a month, something looks like a great opportunity and you go, oh, I really want to get involved in that. So you become this magnet for really great opportunities and then suddenly you've got the pick of the opportunities. So this is what it is to be a key person of influence. So you have to position yourself as a key person of influence for something so that you're the go-to person for opportunities relating to that space. Now, it might be, in the early days, it might be recruitment in, you know, leads or something yeah. like that. It could, but, but so long as you can be the go-to person for something and then expand upon that thing. Um, now, people talk about personal brand and it leads them down this annoying path of, um, you know, I've got to have, you know, branding and I've got to have like this kind of like persona and I've got to have all these followers and all that sort of stuff. All of that's great as yeah. noise. But what matters more is that you're actually the key person of influence. You're actually the go-to person that you are moving and shaking in a very small circle and, and that people think of an opportunity and they come to you with it. Yeah. And I want to relate to that to an example myself. So when I started the podcast, um, to business, I, I slipped into the business mentor because I used them and then I did it for the Prince's Trust, mm. did really well, went to uh, Prince Charles, met him a few times because I was teaching entrepreneurs my skills. And I thought longer about hard this, about the podcast, the business mentor podcast. I never did any selling. I just thought I'm going to put my content out there. As soon as I put a lead magnet at the end saying, if you want a 15 minute call, woof, all the calls kept coming in. And now we've set an academy and the academy is not because I want loads of clients. I've got to put them somewhere. All these mentoring clients are asking me just because I'm putting my content out there. Of course. Um, and, and in recruitment, the same thing. We, we, we were known for the 24 hour call. Um, but yeah, you can overbrand yourself and look really good. In fact, there's a guy I mentor. He's now just reached a million Instagram followers. Wow. He's a magician and we worked hard and we had a conversation, um, just for a left. I said, right, okay, we've done this now. Your brand's great. Now we need to build some assets because there's, yeah. there's, there's a story about someone with 3.4 million Instagram and they can only sell 10 t-shirts. Yeah. I've seen, I saw that. This is, this is what I call looking good, going nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Too many people at the moment, they're focused on looking good, going nowhere. They're, they're looking good, but they're not actually doing anything. They've got no traction. And I'm, I'm completely not into that. So I'm all for branding. I'm all for, you know, putting out 100 posts a day or whatever it is that you want to do. Yeah. Provided that you're actually positioning yourself as a genuine key person of influence at something. Um, if you're spending so much time looking the part that you can't actually do the business, then you know, that's, that's counterproductive. Yeah. And I think I was listening to David Goggins. He's a, he's a great guy. He just wrote a really good book. People will see behind the bullshit. Yeah, eventually you'll get caught. You've got to have like somewhere to put your content, whether it's a book, yeah. a podcast or YouTube now, because people need to see behind the hood. Yeah. Mm. So you can have a great car, but that's the end going to go somewhere. You're not going to help yeah. people. And I see so many people falling down, you know, becoming public speakers becoming brand experts, but really they're not talking about something of value. Um, they're, so, trying, they're, they're trying to copy what they're seeing other people doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what they're not doing is they're not leveraging their genuine value. So there's, there's two parts to, to succeeding, which is number one, which is what you outwardly do, which is important. Yeah. Yeah. Number two, it's leveraging the amount of value that you're on. So, Success takes, like pr proper success, takes 15 years, 20 years, mm. um, like to really build proper success. So if, 
if you're basically starting something brand new today, yeah. you're 10, 15, 20 years away from that being a proper success. You might have fluctuations up and yeah. down along the way, but, but, but you're 10, 15 years away. If you look at your last 15, 20 years and you figure out what is the really valuable IP that you've got, what is the valuable stories that you have, what is genuinely you know, the real deal stuff that you're sitting on that's of value to a lot of people, if you spend a lot of time digging deep and understanding what your last 15 years was about, then it comes naturally to you how to create value out there and how to sh share more value. So yeah. what people are doing is that they're so in such a rush to yeah. go out and like share stuff with the world, um, but they're not honoring and respecting their last 15, 20 years. Yeah, and I like that. And, and the, the way you said 10 years, that resonates to me because my first mentor, my recruitment company, we were making money along the way and you have good months and bad months. And I can remember him telling me, just, just keep building this, keep building this. And I don't know what happened, but 10 years was when we sold it. Yep. And, you know, if you're selling a business, the best thing to have is entrepreneurs tax relief, right? Yeah. Because you can pay 10%. But yeah, if I look at my journey, it was up and down and 10 years was the actual number. Yep. Um, where you can really, because you, you know you can have quick wins and quick cars. You probably be a business. Yeah, well, this is the thing. Yeah, you, look, you know, when I tell my story about zero to a million, one to 10, yeah, we were, we were doing really well, but we had a lot of inefficiencies. We had a lot of employees on the team. Um, it was crazy high, then crazy low, right? So we, we had a falling out with that particular supplier and we did a deal to get out of there. And then we had to start again and build a new business. And that's why I went off and, so I was kind of like my first 10 years was a roller coaster of, of highs and lows. It was pretty amazing, right? It was oh, yeah. very, it was amazing. At, you know, at 24, I bought a BMW X5 and I had a huge house and I was traveling around and, you know, I was doing all the things that most 24-year-olds would only dream of. Yeah. Uh, I was, you know, always going to the best restaurants in Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, um, you know, Perth. And, you know, I, 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 had, a, I had a wonderful boom time yeah but then you know uh i as i said i couldn't sell the business right so there's there's something that happens over time and distance and experience but it's about acknowledging and honoring your your history and, uh, and acknowledging you know the insights that you learn along the way yeah and i think mentors the reason i'm passionate about mentoring is because it saved me in the recession you know when the recession was happening i didn't run a business in the prior recession so you know, you don't know what to do, right? Yeah. Everything's closing jobs down. And the mentor paid such an important part that I said, when I do sell the business, I will, I will mentor. But assets, you're right. You know, I changed my model from doing permanent recruitment to contract recruitment because with contracts, you've got assets because the reoccurring revenue all yeah. the time. And someone's going to buy that. Absolutely. No one's going to buy a permanent recruitment business because you're only as good as your next job. And it's yep. such a tough industry. Yep. Um, and, you know, with yourself, so... I get the branding. Thank you for that. And then, you know, during the years, you, you know, you've, you've trained so many entrepreneurs now and we have, this, you know, listened to great stories. You know, what have you learned? You know, what have you learned from, from teaching all these? What is the, cause you know, a bit like you, when I talk to someone, I just, and they're talking about business, I see the errors already happening. I'm like, no, you, you want to do yeah. this, you do that. What are the key standards for you? So the, for starters, the business journey is incredibly predictable. So um, most people feel like it's they're carving their own path and they're doing this unique thing. It's very predictable. It goes from concept to wilderness. So coming yeah. up with an idea, one or two people by themselves, um, trying to survive, trying to get ahead above water, three to 12 person boutique, 
um, trying to become influential, trying to get people to be the go-to people coming to you, then screwing it all up as you go from 12 to 50 employees yeah. where that I would call that the desert, which is, is yeah. really frustrating, too big to be small, too small to be big, original team fighting with the new team, um, all those kind of things. And then performance business, about 40, 50 people up to 150 people. Um, building a board, building a team of advisors, building an executive team, building four P&Ls, transitioning to recurring revenue and subscription revenue. So all of these predictable phases that that happen along the way, they're very, very predictable. Um, yeah. And, you know, the assets that you need, the the, the skill set that you need at each different phase. Um, but I would define the journey as establishing value so be finding something that's valuable and then secondly, becoming influential, becoming an influencer and then thirdly, developing assets and building assets and formalizing assets. So it's three separate um, uh, parts to the journey. Chapter one is the, the establishment of value. Chapter two is becoming influential. Chapter three is formalizing an asset that other people want. Um, yeah. And it's basically we need to go through those kind of uh, stages in the journey. The other thing that I've learned, and this is a big one, is that until you're a key person of influence, nothing really works. And when you're a key person of influence, everything works. So Richard <laughs> Branson, let's say he wants to fill an event. Well, he could just go on radio and that would fill an event. Uh, he could yeah. just dial in from the back of his Uber and do a five-minute interview and that would fill an event. Um, he could do some tweets and that would fill an event. He could ask some affiliates to do something for him and that would fill an event. He could take out a and an ad in the newspaper, that would work. He could do some Instagram stories and that would work. So when you're a key person of influence, everything works. Everything that you do works. So there's no point trying to copy a key person of influence because everything they do works. They, yeah. they can stand on the street handing out flyers and thousands of people come and you know, engage with that, right? Because yeah. they're a key person of influence. So they're in a position where everything works. Um, when you're not a key person of influence, everything's hard work. So you have to hustle. You have to really roll up your sleeves. You've got to find the edge. You've got to find those little niches that work, you know, and you've got to work really hard to get into those niches. Um, yeah. And what I see so many people doing is that they copy key people of influence and they go, oh, you know, that, that works for them, so it will work for me. It's like it, it won't. It's, yeah. It works for them because they're a key person of influence. And then I, the other thing I see people do is refusing to be a key person of influence. They go, I want to hide behind my brand. I just want to build a brand and sell it. But that's not going to work. No one's going to get yeah. engaged or excited by that. Um, and then I see people who don't, they don't do the hard work because they say, I can't live like this. I can't live working this hard. And I go, but it will change. If you work in the right way and if you put the effort in in the particular beginning phases, you will become a key person of influence at something and then it becomes easy. Yeah, and no, I totally get that because I've never run an event before and we did one for the podcast, the one-year anniversary. And, um, and I just thought I'd never fill it. But because I've been putting content out there, yeah. within three or four weeks, we had 150 people booked on. I had seven key speakers. These are Dragon Den winners, yep. millionaires. I didn't pay them to come. They just came because of my concept. Yep. And even at a celebrity cake maker. And then my friend tried to do the same. He goes, well, I'll do an event. And he did it and he sold zero tickets. And I said, 
it's probably because I've put it out there and people know who I am now and they like my content. You've got to do enough to, to know you, people know you. Yeah, right? and you can't just copy what other people are doing because it might not yeah. work. It probably won't work for you if you're not a key person of influence. Key people of yeah. influence, everything works. Richard Branson's doing a hot water machine at the moment, virgin hot water machine for your kitchen, right? Is that is that like a big hot product? Is that an amazing thing to get into? It doesn't matter because if, if you're Richard Branson, everything works. Yeah. Not only that, he's just released his shares on public. Like this yeah. Galactic. Yeah, he's going to IPO a space company, right? So everything works. Yeah, that's good. So, you know, you've got to put enough work just to um, get enough out there. So I've got a couple of more questions I want to ask you because Daniel's great to have you on. I like having you on. So, you know, with mentors yourself, you know, obviously you, you very early on, you watch the power of mentoring just like I did, you know, you know, for me personally, I think the knowledge is out there now. I don't know about you, but when the first recession, we didn't have YouTube videos. People went on, like yourself, on YouTube or myself. You know, how important is it to get the right information and the right guidance, especially in business? Because I see, you know, in Princess Trust and people I work with, 95%, they just don't make it. And you look behind the scenes, yeah. it's really the knowledge and the support. So how important well, they is it? Well, they don't make it because trial and error. We don't have enough, we don't have enough years to do trial and error. Um, so yeah. if you want to make up everything from day one, then, you know, then you're going to have to figure out, you might spend two or three years just figuring out something, you know, it took, it took 1500 years to come up with just accounting, you know, the yeah. Medici yeah. family had a massive advantage because they came up with double entry accounting, but it took 1500 years to get there. Um, yeah. you know, so trial and error takes hundreds of years. So, um, yeah. you know, having people around the only reason I succeeded in my first year in business at 21 is because I did two intensive years. I was so lucky. It was just luck. I just got this opportunity to start to basically be employee number three for an experienced entrepreneur right at that moment when he was starting a new venture. And I got to see the steps. First do yeah. this, then do this. And I got to see behind the scenes because everything looks cool and sexy and smooth running from the front. Right. If you go yeah. and see a play, if you go and see a show, it all looks fantastic at the front. Behind the scenes, there's all sorts of people running around doing all sorts of things. Yeah. Same in business. Like, for example, we used to run these uh, training conferences where we would have 300 people who'd paid 3000 3, a head for a particular niche type of training. And everyone would look at that and go, oh, wow, that's $900,000 worth of revenue right there. But what yeah. they didn't see is that we had 12 salespeople doing 70 phone calls a day and booking appointments and doing, you know, we had a, a calling team, an appointments team, a closing yeah. team. And I think it was like 12 or 15 people. When we were at that size, we had 12 or 15 people just on the phones booking appointments and they would make 70 phone calls a day and yeah. book three or four appointments a day. Um, you know, and then the th out of 10 appointments, there'd be two sales. So you had to have, like, we had to have this marketing machine and this sales machine. So I knew all of that existed. Had I gone and started a business through trial and error, I'd probably try and do all of that myself and wonder why I'm failing. But because yeah. from day one of my first business, I ran an, I ran a $7,000 ad in the newspaper. I had a sales team waiting to take the calls. I had a salesperson ready for the phones. I had basically built everything from day one. I, ne I never ever, people say, oh, you know, how do you, 
How did you go through that phase of being by yourself and being a solopreneur? I've actually never done it. Um, I've yeah. never, ever been on my own because I understand that teams outperform individuals. So my mentor basically said, don't ever get caught in the trap of being self-employed because it's very hard to get out of it once you're in it. You yeah. know, you want to build teams from day one. Literally pre-launch, you have a sales team, you have an ops team, you have all of that ready and you have everyone incentivized based on percentage of revenue. You get young people who want an opportunity and don't have high overheads, costs. You rope people in on the vision and you say, when we're making sales, you'll get a commission and you'll earn more than you would otherwise, right? You know, you figure it out. You juggle it into existence. But I've always done it that way yeah. based on mentoring. Yeah, no, that's great. And that's, you know, why I mentor for the Prince of Trust because they're the most vulnerable, right? Yeah. They get into a business. To be honest, the Prince of Trust is very good and people give the time, but they haven't got enough entrepreneurs because we're all busy, by the way. So it's not easy. Yeah. And if you get from an accountant, an ex-retired police person. You know, I've seen horror stories of people wasting their parents' inheritance. Uh, Jay, it's and terrible. And the, the problem is too is um, accountants will probably give you the wrong advice. No offence yeah. to accountants. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But when, a, when an accountant sees a business, they see the business normally or their most successful clients are in the asset phase of the business. Yeah. There's the value phase and the influence phase before the asset phase. So That's right. if you go and talk to most successful business owners, let's say you talk to a business owner who's got millions of pounds, but they haven't analyzed the whole journey. That business owner will say things like, you've got to build a brand, you've got to build a culture, um, you've got to put systems in place, you've got to have CRM systems and all this sort of stuff. Bullshit. You don't need any of that stuff, right? Because yeah. if you can't make a sale, if you can't actually pick up the phone, book an appointment, make yourself, uh, here's, here's a crazy little story. I had a friend of mine who's a great entrepreneur who came and stayed with me for two or three months while he was getting over a breakup. And this was several years ago, but it's still relevant. And he yeah. said, oh, I want to make some money while I'm in London. Can I, you know, what, what can I do to make some money? And I said, yeah. here's a shoebox full of business cards. Um, yeah. there's probably 300 business cards that I've collected over the years from people that I've gone to networking functions with. Why don't you give them a call and, and just see what they want, see what they need and, and see if you yeah. can help them out and, and all this sort of stuff. So in the space of three months, he made 60,000 pounds just calling through a shoebox full of business cards of people I'd accidentally met at, uh, at, at functions. And all he had was a shoebox of cards a shoebox that he labeled appointments, a shoebox that he labeled opportunities, right? And he just he phoned the card and he just like, oh, this person's not a good opportunity, so I'll just put them over in this one called, um, called Complete. So I'll just put yeah, them in the Complete. Yeah. So he made 60,000 pounds, over 20,000 pounds a month, right? Just simply just calling through, no CRM system, right? Like just, you don't, like... A lot of accountants and a lot of experienced entrepreneurs, they'll tell you about the stuff that they're doing now because they've yeah, yeah. forgotten what, what got them there. And you've got to be a practitioner. I was talking to Grant Cardone and, you know, if you teach, if you want to, you know, you're practicing, I'm practicing, we're learning new things. And sometimes you get advice from someone who's like a bit older than us yeah. that did direct marketing, yellow pages, you know, things evolve. But I know we could talk all day and the sun's just beaming here. So I don't want to, you know, but, you know, I want to, I want to, we're going to meet up. We're going to talk about stuff anyway. And by the way, 
you should check out all the books. They're amazing. I, you know, read them myself. Um, Daniel, where can people find it? Because look, you know, people say to me, when you're talking to entrepreneurs teaching, you're teaching, is there like an overlap? There's never an overlap for me. I think I, I promote everyone and anything and the individual makes a decision based on that. Um, oh. And I've got a bus down there, which is so loud now, but I, I, can barely, I can't even hear it. I can't hear So, okay. So there's all my followers there. <laughs> Jacob. But, you know, I think it's important for people to have the, the opportunity. You know, I, I find your stuff valuable. So where, what's the best place well, for people? Is it, Jump on, a, jump on Amazon, grab the books, um, yeah. and is a good place to start. Um, I've got a lot of free videos on YouTube, um, and one one fun thing that I think is a really uh, valuable thing is to take the key person of influence scorecard uh, or the marketing ca- uh, campaign driven enterprise scorecard. So if you just do a search called key person of influence scorecard, um, you'll find. Yeah you'll find the key person of influence scorecard. It asks you 45 questions about your business and it tells you whether you're on track to become more influential in your industry. Um, and, uh, and it gives you, gives you very customized at the end of it, it gives you a customized report as to how you can improve your influence in your industry. Great. And by the way, you can ask questions to me and I'll forward them to Daniel, but directly you're on Instagram. I know you're on Instagram. Yeah, Instagram, uh, Twitter, at Daniel Priestley. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm yeah. actually a little too active on Instagram and Twitter. I, I enjoy it a little too much. <laughs> yeah, it can get pretty addictive. And uh, on Facebook, you're on there as well. So look, I want to thank you um, for sharing, you know, just a small part of your journey and all the stuff you're doing. You're very inspiring. Like I said, I want to get you on. Uh, I'm trying to get the best guests so that people can obviously get value from there. Um, and, you know, you, you practice what you preach, which is just what I love about, you know, people I interview that are doing that. Cheers, mate. Thanks very much for having me on the show. Thank you. And, yeah, and we'll, we'll catch up soon. Take care. Catch up soon. Thank you. Thank you.